Hi and welcome to the Made to Parade podcast. We are back for season number two. I'm your host Glenn Miller and it's great to have you all back with us and just to say thank you very much for your support for season number one and we have an absolutely brilliant second season lined up for you all. Um, We've got some great conversations, some great guests and I'm going to be back near the end of this particular episode to tell you more about that. Um, If you were to ask people um, to highlight who they thought were some of the best bands on the road, the Black Skull and Glasgow usually will get a mention in that conversation. They've been a source of influence and, and inspiration on the scene for many years and they celebrate their 40th anniversary this year. So it's obviously really fitting that our first two episodes in this brand new season are dedicated to the Black Skull. I had a conversation with their founder, Andy McAdam, um, a wee while back and we had an absolutely amazing conversation and it was so good and there was so much good stuff in it that I really had to just turn it into two episodes because there was so much good stuff in there. So if you've ever wondered about the history of the band, where the name came from, where the influences came on their style, then you're listening to the right episode because Andy is going to share a lot about that and more. So he goes into some detail about the history of the band what were some of their major influences and how they come up with some of the the things that they used to do on parade uh, as well so you know it's going to be an absolutely brilliant conversation so i'm not going to spend too much more time talking so as always sit back relax and enjoy the very first episode in season number two of the made to parade podcast with andy mcadam from the black skull glasgow Andy, you're very welcome on the podcast today. Great to have you on board with us. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you very much. I suppose the first question I ask everybody is, how did you first get involved in a band and what sparked your interest? Um, well, as a young kid, I was I was brought up in an area which is world-renowned as Bridgeton, and um, the bands were always about. Never really took much notice of it, but time a lot of all by moved away from the area and the first major recollection for me taking a major interest in the bands was one year that the Glasgow main demonstration was going to Ballock and it just so happens my older brother Ian he played in a band at that time called uh, Rock Hill True Blues and I followed them that day it was only a young kid I think it was about 13 mm-hmm. and I followed them and was taken in by it. And obviously the influences your older brother, etc. Mm-hmm. And I just found the colour and the pageantry and him his uniform on and these things sort of gave you a wee sort of buds type thing. Uh-huh. Um, but after that, um, my brother left to join the army and the wee band that he was in, as I say, Rock Hill True Blues, they folded. And mm-hmm. I sort of had a bug for it and there was a, a relative it says, do you want to go in the bands? And I says, oh, I wouldn't mind. And it just so happens my brother's drum was lying in an in-law's house belonging to him. Mm-hmm. And I managed to get my hands on it. And the, the other relative took me down to the Bridgeton No Surrender. That was the first band I was ever in. Oh, took good. me to the Bridgeton No Surrender, um, which is commonly known as the Noe. And I got taken in there as a young kid. And that's where it really all started from. Um, so that's really the first recollections 
and from there, I don't know whether the right words is never look back. I don't know if that's right, but <laughs> that's basically where it all started. And once I caught the bug, I just became a band junkie. It was just, just what it was, mate. Brilliant. What do, you, what do you remember about those early days in, in the Bridgeton then? You know, what now, obviously, you know, turning up the practice for the first time and getting to walk with the ball. Talk me through that whole experience about, you know, learning your instrument and getting to walk for the first time. <laughs> well, it's quite a, quite a funny um, scenario with a, with a noi. That's what they're called. That's the nickname's yeah. noi. And I could take down to the band practice. And as a kid, really didn't know what to expect. I, I was really in awe of it all, I really didn't know, um, but this will never leave me. Um, I went in and there was a guy there called Wally uh, McCulley, I think, it was, I think his name was Big McCulley, but anyway, um, he was the lead tip for the band, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the band sergeant and the, the guy who ran the band, we Dickie Muir, who became a close friend, uh, who's passed on now, Dickie he introduced me to the band. Well, that's a young guy coming out to join the band. Welcome on, blah, blah, blah. That was great. So I went with this boy who was the lead tip, and he says, right, what today is, just pull your drum on, stand there with the rest of us, and when we come in, you come in. And I'm looking at him going, come in with what? Because I never <laughs> even knew how to hold the sticks, you know what I mean? Obviously, I'd battered about with the sticks, but I never even knew the correct way to hold them and so forth. And I, I looked at him in horror, and they went, don't worry about it, just just join in when you're ready. He says, when we come in, you come in. So that, that memory always sticks with me. And um, it, it, was a, it was a band, back in those days, that there was no sort of regimented rules or regulations or nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the bad things, which is a later on, is a later on part of the story, was one of the reasons why I left, because... On the, the band used to go out with a, that was well the band would go out in the church parades etc on the other parades we are certain size band but in the day is what we call the big walk mm-hmm. um all of a sudden going from maybe 16 18 flutes to 28 30 flutes and these guys would only appear on the day of the big walk right. and that but that was the nature of the beast in those days um but coming from sort of a heartland of Bridgeton, well, that time they practiced in Dunmarnock and Morden Street. Um, it, it was just, uh, you were a young kid, and a lot of the guys in those days were older guys and basically your peers. But it was more, uh, I, would, I would say it was more a social gathering, obviously right. on the alcohol front. Mm-hmm. Um, because they always used to carry their half bottle in the back pocket and things like that. Right. And, um, and, and that's basically the experience. I had, I had good times with it, um, but it, it's, it was just the nature of the beast as Bridgeton was. Um, and that's as really much as I can say about it. There was no great learning. There was no great procedural learning. Right, um, right. I, played, I played the side drum for, I think, about two or three years um, and started to realise I was getting too many blisters on my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided... I was going to learn the flute, right. and I basically became self-taught on the flute. And after about a year, that was me a fluter. And but don't get wrong, in those days, that's what I was. I was a fluter. As time progressed, went on to everything else. Like, but so it sounds like you know, you know, baptism of of fire with the drums, and then you you made a transition over over to the flute and stuff. And yeah, how long did you stay with the Noe then? How how long were you with them? 
Um, I was in, I joined the band when I was 14 and I stayed with them until I was a midnight, but 19 and a half. Right. I, I, after, yeah, it would, have, it would have been 1979 and I left the band. Because what was happening at that time, there was bands appearing on the scene like the, the Denison Rangers and they were coming out smartly dressed for that era with uh, colour-coordinated blue trousers, red jumpers, blue hats and hackles. You had another band there that had formed up at that time and was Bridgeton Loyalist. And they came out, and, I've, and I always remember in Modern Street, they came out with uh, uh, the burgundy jumpers, the dicky bow, the wee um, sort of para hats with a hackle. Very smart looking for the mm -hmm. time. And they know he was still the old glump blue jumper and black trousers. And uh, there was a lot of young kids, but the thing, one thing I'll say about the note at that time, there was very few bands of that style, if any, would could near them because the flute section was outstanding for what they played. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of young guys like myself, and we wanted change. We wanted to look like Brighton Loyalists. We wanted to look like the Denison Rangers. We want, et cetera, et cetera. But the older guys were resistant to change. But we wanted to look good, the same as all the other bands. And it wasn't happening. And not long after that, they lost a lot of talented boys who went and started, well, there was, two, there was boys who went and started their own bands and things like that. Mm -hmm. And went to, one of the most talented was Reed Dickey himself, who ran the band, his boy, William Muir. And he left and joined um, the Pride of the Mile. Oh, and really? William, William was the main instigator of the Mile style. William Muir was extremely talented. Bass drummer, it was a left, one of the problem was he was a left-handed flutter, but he was very good. And he, the likes of me and William were very close. Um, the wee bugger used to steal quite a few of my tunes and things like that. <laughs> but he was a main influence to the mile, along with Alec, etc. But he was a main, main part to that band. But the point I'm making out to that is, Denoy lost all this talent. There was a few boys went to the Govan Prodi boys, a few guys, a couple of boys as well later, later on in that time, i.e. Danny and Jamie went to start the Sandy Hills band and all that. Oh, okay. so, so there's a lot of people came for Denoy, went to, for want a better expression, better and bigger things, mm -hmm. as well, if they would have, if, if they would have sort of worked with the younger guys, we would have probably all still been there. Because, as I say, we were loyal to the band, but they did lose quite a few at that time, younger ones. But that was the nature of the beast in those days. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, I know the score. And maybe jump on a, probably jump on back. Well, can you remember anything about your first parade? Not just that it was a church parade. And and this will show you, this will explain the, the sort of carefree existence I know he was at the time. <laughs> and the, the uniform was a white shirt, royal blue jumper, black trousers. And I came down to do my first parade. And back in those days in Glasgow, there was a lot of, the style was made to measure clothes, made to measure trousers, jackets, jumpers. That was the style for the kids at that time. And I remember getting down, I went down my royal blue jumper and a brand new white shirt, but I had blue trousers on. <laughs> but I must admit, they actually went, you can't walk with them. You'll need to go home and change them. So I always remember that part. But apart from that, no, it was just an experience as life went on and learning 
with the Aldians, um, because there was a thing there, particularly on the day of the big parade, I can always remember that. We used to come out and we went round the, the Dormanic area up what we call Springfield Road, coming on to the London Road, which always went by Celtic Park. There used to be an old set of toilets there. And I can, I can remember back to when I was a kid playing the flute. And the noise was quite exceptional in those days. They were one of the old style bands at that time where the drums went to the back. They didn't oh, put the drums to the front. So because I'd gained um, so much knowledge in playing a flute, they stuck me up to the front. And I can always remember we come along to Celtic Park and just pass the toilets and the band would be booming. You'd hear the band going like the clappers. And all of a sudden the volume would all die down and go, what the hell? And you turn around. Half of them was all jumped out into the toilets with a half bottle of wine and bucky <laughs> and so forth. And they caught you about 500 yards down the road. But that was the noise. That was the noise. Yeah. And they were renowned for it. But that's as much as... And I'm, don't get me wrong. Had a lot of great times and as a kid and used to love coming back to Bridgeton Cross at night time and as we say going by the toll. That was the the toll was the, the equivalent of walking up um Templemore or walking up the Shank. Oh, right. That's what the toll was. And it was renowned because a way back in the the, the earlier part of the century, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, Bridgeton was a heavy, heavy condensed area with tenement buildings. But when they pulled them down, all the, all the residents got moved out to the big housing schemes like Easter House, Castlemore, East Kilbride, etc. But on that one day of the year, everybody knew where they came from and they all came back to Bridgeton. And it used, honest, it, it was it was equivalent to Templemore. Everybody came. So that was a good memory. So the other thing as well, the toll is, it's like an umbrella thing. It's, it's like, a, a, it's like a, a bandstand and it sits in the middle of Bridgeton Cross and you used to have to walk around it. Now you walk around it, it takes you all of 30 seconds. But on the day of the big walk, it took the band about 20 minutes because we used to go like three steps forward, two steps back, three steps, and we crawled back. And sometimes we even just kept walking around the toll. Wouldn't be allowed nowadays. But back in the day, we got away with mum We got away with mum oh. I remember those way, way good day, good memories. But that that that's more or less it. That's it. Well, I, that, that rings true for me as well. I mean, I remember one of my my first parade was uh, was an Easter Monday with uh, in fact way back in the day with the Parade of the Raven and uh, and I remember uh, we we weren't allowed to. to to go to wherever it was we were heading and there was a restriction on the parade even way back then and uh but i remember us you know we were just saying that when we got we arrived at central station i think oh you just can't get on the train to go we need to go right well we're just going to the city hall then and i always remember like well, well how can we just go to the city hall why what, we don't need to tell people or anything you know it's like oh no we're just going to go to the city hall yeah. right everybody let's go yeah. and then when we got to the city hall it's like oh, right they're not letting us go anywhere so we'll just go home and all these bonds are just parading all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, that's, back, as, it's, as the expression goes, good old days. If, yeah. that, if they were that, if they were that. But, because mm -hmm. even though I'd left the band, it wasn't because I was fed up being a bandsman. I just, there were certain things I wasn't happy with. Yeah. So on the conclusion of that, I decided, well, if I don't know if that's that. And I was in the lodge at that time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go through the ranks of the lodge. I'm going to just work hard with the lodge and everything else. 
But the lodge I was in was um, Carlton 138, and all the people in the lodge were all bandsmen. The vast majority were in a band called uh, the Wally Wilson Memorial. And there was an old guy in there who had major respect through the band fraternity, was um, old Wally Wilson. And um, we were in the, and I was going to lodge meetings and various things and so forth. And he he sort of sensed me. He says, what's the matter with you? Nothing's fine, all that. Then it came at a time I thought about, do you know what? I'm going to start a band. Because the, the, the pull to the bands was just too much in me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I couldn't force myself to go to another band. I was fortunate enough with people I knew at that time, a wee William, the mile. Why don't you? And I, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to start a band. And so the idea locked in the head. And I went and spoke to Wally in the lodge. I says, listen. And I told him my idea. I says, I'm going to go and start a band. And big respect to Wally went, because Wally was in the bands all his days. He was at Black's Watch, lead drummer, et cetera, et cetera. And he played in the, the band. The, the band was named after his dad. And he says, um, says listen, and he was not a lot older than me, obviously. He says, listen, son, you go with your heart. As if you might to go with the bands, go with the bands. He says, a lodge will always be here for you when you're ready to come back. He says, just you go and follow your heart. And that's what I did. And I approached one, a, a pal of mine at the time, and asked if he wanted to come. And he came, and my brothers... Um, two of my brothers, uh, Paul and Uri, and they came and joined, and other people I knew. So we started the ball rolling a wee bit, and um, that's basically the direction we went. And once the ball started to roll, there was no stopping it. Mm-hmm. And it just, but I, I just, I was away from the bands for about maybe five months. I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't. I was just so used to life within the bands, even though I was only a, a novice and in it for a cough and a spit. But those five years, six years, that it just it made us a junkie to it at the end of. And yeah. then I decided, you know what? Well, I'm going to go and start a band. And that's where the next step came from. All right, so it got into your DNA then. It got into your yes. who you were. Very good ones. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I know I I get that completely. It's almost like I talk about it. It became an obsession. Yes. You know, it really did become an obsession with my whole life. You know, as a an 11, 12 year old, you know, revolved around this yeah. you know, becoming a food blower in the bond. You know, yeah. and uh, so this idea of forming a bond is obviously was the embryonic stage then of the Black Skull. No, as in as in the name Black Skull. No. Okay. What had happened? I'd actually stayed in the south side of Glasgow. Um, I used to stay with my gran, and as a young guy at that age, I managed to get a flat of my own in a wee place called Darnley, and I decided to say the band was getting started, etc. And in those days, change days from now, because back in the day, Rangers were Rangers. Mm-hmm. We could put advertisements in it for band members. Lodges could put in a bit of dances, change days. These things don't happen anymore. Um, so we we put the adverts in and there was replies and people contacted us and so forth. And the band gradually formed. There's a wee story here, which is, um, a, what's the, the right word? It's, um, I can't think of the right word for it, but, 
it's it's a major thing which we had to keep quiet at the time. Right. Now in Darnley, there was only two schools. One, our side, which basically is a non-denominational, the other a Roman Catholic. There was in that area, there was nowhere to practice. We couldn't get anywhere to practice. So we tried to get into the wee non-denominational school. Every night was full. We couldn't right. get in. So the only place it was available was the Roman Catholic school. And we knew if we applied to practice in it and we tell them who we were, it wasn't happening. So we put down, it was a pipe band, right? right? So we put down as a pipe band and uh, we got access into the school. And uh, it didn't take too long for them to find out, wait a minute here, because there was, we were playing in the, the big uh, gymnasium, if you like, and there's a um, big crucifix on the wall and so forth. <laughs> so we tried to just sort of be oblivious to it. But... Um, that's when we rehearsed for a, a period of time, not a bit long period of time, because really we had nowhere else to go. We always remember the, the County Grand Lodge, because at that time they used to come out and vet you. They would come out and listen to your band playing and see how things were going before they would allow you to participate with the institution. And I always remember the look on their faces when they walked into school and they seen <laughs> all the, the, the RC paraphernalia <laughs> they looking at me and, and explained to them look this is the only place we could get so that was okay we got passed we got allowed to walk not long after that a, a place came up in the, the other wee primary school and fortunately enough for us the wee guy in it wee Jimmy he was an Ulsterman and he used to just give me the, he used to finish work at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon and combine and there the keys and I could, we used to go in there and practice to maybe 12, 1 in the morning and all that. Right. Brilliant, because we had the keys. So that's where it sort of started for. Um, the, at that time, the band came up. And in those days, bands had some long-winded names and things like that. And the, the name that, was, that I sort of decided on, because um, bearing in mind, I made most of the decisions, um, because nobody had any experience in bands. There was only myself and another boy that came along with us. Udian had a wee bit of experience, obviously playing with the rock girl. Paul and George and other boys who came, um, they really didn't, it was just, it was all new to them as well. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up calling the band uh, Young Prodders and Crown Defenders. Right. And that was what we walked as the first year, Young Prodders and Crown Defenders, which was a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> um, and then it escalated from there. So that was my first year walking with that. So talk me through then how you went to the transition from that to what became the Black Skull then? Right, well, um, I felt, as I was teaching the bands and stuff like that, teaching the band and going through the motions, Something just wasn't right. At that time, as I said before, you had bands like the Den of Angels who were quite up and coming and upbeat type of new style bands, etc. Um, you had the Calvi, the YCV, which is a close friend of mine, Kenny McDagger. They had started that band up and they had their own sort of style and type things. And I just felt the band just didn't... There was, there was nothing, as a word we use over here, Gallus. I don't know if you've ever heard of the word. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I right, remember so, a band called, uh, there was a, a group from Scotland, uh, Gun, had an album called Gallus. Right, well, the expression is it's Gallus, you know, that type of thing, but um, it, it just didn't, 
it didn't seem to click. And I went, you know what? Maybe it's the name. So we, talk, we changed the name. And it was changed to Young Britannia. Just for a very short period of time. Just for about a month or so. Right. And God, it's, it's, no, it's no happening. It's just, it just wasn't happening. So that, that, that year, uh, subconsciously in my brain, there was a band came over from Northern Ireland. And this is where, now you're at, where people always wonder how we've got the name and where it evolved from everything else. And the only person I can tell you is, is me. Uh, subconsciously in my mind somewhere, in the hall down in Pollock Shores, which is the Pollock Shores Orange Hall, you were down there on the Friday before the, the big main demonstration. And there was a band came over from Northern Ireland who were called Orange and Blue Black Skull. Mm-hmm. And I was I was sort of besotted with a place called Black Skull. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it, was, it was something, and I remember talking to a couple of guys, you ever heard of a place called Black Skull? Never heard of it. But then again, we were only kids. We'd never travelled. We didn't know nothing. And... And I always remember orange and blue, black skull, fine, that was it. And so I locked away. And then, um, and it, when it was coming to the changing the name type thing, subsequently that year when we went to do our first Belfast, as you know, you always had the bass drum, but you carried a spare bass drum. Mm-hmm. And we were carrying a spare bass drum, and there was nothing on the skins. So I thought it was a bit of a. Uh, a bit of a Picasso at the time. So I said, ah, give me some pains or whatever. So I went out and, and I drew the young Protestant kind of it. But just so happens, I drew on a skin, which no relevance to what I'm about to say. I drew a skull wearing a bomoral with a hackle and a fag hanging out its mouth. Right. There was no relevance to the orange and blue at that time. And that was fine. So, so, so the time up went by, as I say, and it just didn't seem to click. And I was... It was going through my head time and time and time. And I was sitting in the house one time and I seen the bass drum sitting there. And the one that had actually painted. And I seen the black skull with the ball model, the hackle and the fag. And I went, and it came back to me about black skull, for you know, origin blue black skull. And it came back to me and I went, ah. the name just for some reason lodged in my head. I said, that's what I'm going with. And I, but also the reservation, I'll go down here and they'll all go, Where's the motorbikes? Where's the chains, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. <laughs> and um, so I, I sort of, I sort of, focus. That, that's what I'm gone with. And I went down and I told him, so listen, I'm going to change the name. We need to try and pick this up. It's not really clicking, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Told them what I was going to call it. They all laughed, as I said. Oh, and about the Harley Davidsons and all the rest of sort of carry on. And but what I will say is, from that night, with me changing the band's name. The band just seemed to click totally different. Everything seemed to be gallus. Everything seemed to have a wee purpose. You were a, um, you were a wee sort of a, just gallus. That's the only way I can sort of describe it. And that's where it evolved. So that was in 1980, 1981. And we first walked as Black Skull 82. There's always a lot of... Uh, misinterpretation with a band when you see how was it 81 on that and it was 82 and that well back in the days a year or two here didn't make any difference the band was formed in 1980 but it didn't take the name until uh, 1981 as Black Skull and that's how it all came about right okay so 
obviously, you know, you, you were talking earlier on there, you, you'd mentioned about whenever you were listening to these other bands, when you were in the Noi and you were hearing it, you know, the Dennis and yeah. Rangers and stuff, and you were hearing how you were doing things different and they were yeah. changing things and you just wanted to do things differently. Yeah. And, you know, you were influenced by what was happening in, in, in the scene. Yeah. Talk to me about how you started then developing that Black Skull sound, you know, because in the in the early 80s, you you've developed a style and a swagger of your own. You know, maybe that's that Gallus thing that you're talking about, is that swagger yeah. that you've had, you know, the, yeah. you know, the, the, the atmosphere that you've kind of generated when you're on the road. How did you get to that style? How did you arrive, you know, with the, the drums high up, the, you know, the, you know, the, the way you tune the drums, the, the arrangements for the, for the tunes and all, how did that all evolve? What, what, how instrumental were you in, in bringing that about? And how much of that was an evolution of, of, you know, what you had seen and heard? Well, obviously, ideas come from ideas. Now, there is, there is a, a very, very few occasions I've had a light bulb go off my head and say this, that, and so forth. You, 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 you derive ideas from seeing things and go, that's good, that. Now, even though I'm saying that the thing about me for the Scottish bands was I wasn't really influenced too much by the music. It was more the style and appearance. Okay. Um, the music, because we, we all played sort of similar type of tunes. Um Everybody played the same, basically. There was nothing unusual to that. But as a young kid learning to play the flute, and these ideas always went, also went with me as well. Um, the, the two major influences with, and two instrumental uh, things that helped me play the flute, because um, basically I was self-taught. Um, a wee bit of help here in the, in the beginning, but generally 90% it was self-taught was two LPs, two particular LPs. And once again, as I was saying, I was always influenced by um, style and appearance and colour and things like that. And one LP that also stu uh, stood out dramatically for me, um, but it was actually, it, wasn't a, it was a good LP for its time, was the Porter Down Defenders, yep. with a big lamb bag in the front and the drums, etc. Uh -huh. that, that, that was uh, a, big, a big influence on me as a kid. But I would probably say one of the, the one after that, which had a major influence, because once again we come back to this swagger gallusness type thing, uh -huh. was a band called the Milro Loyalists. Right, yep. Do you remember them? I know I've heard of the Milro, yep. Right. Well, if you listen to their LP, and they were up in the Londonderry area, obviously, and they had such a a swagger about them, how their introductions came and things like that. And these ideas sort of lodged in with me and as time went along and once I started the band and really to be perfectly honest with you as I said prior only when I changed the band's name to Black Skull did things seem to spark the drumming seemed different that the tunes well the drumming's all everything that as it is even just now all the music is, is down to me I arrange the drumming I arrange the flutting I have certain people now that will put their bits and pieces in, um, but 90%, if not more, I arrange most of the things. But mm -hmm. back in the days, it was a simple ABC forum. Yeah. And as I said, I can't explain where it, it came about from, but the uniforms within the bands was getting a wee bit um, more um, gallus, as I keep using that word. And when we came out as Black Skull, 
the program, it was something that stuck in my head, Chips, you know, the, the, the American yeah, yeah. police cops. Uh-huh. I know how that, they used to wear like, the blue shirt and the white T-shirt. And that was a uniform that I came up with for the first one with Black Skull. So we came up with royal blue shirts with a white T-shirt with a neck coat and the memorial hats, etc. And it just after that, it just spiraled. And we walked with that, the, the shirts and that far until 1983 and by, by by that time there was another wee there was another wee LP I had an influence of was um Bally Halbert follows a Rangers mm-hmm. um where you're praying that a milestone maced of a music coffee um <laughs> because you used to have a laugh about it and and so forth but at the same time there was an, an influence of the Bally Halbert because they were playing some matches Maybe not in a traditional forum, but mm. they were playing them, and they were playing Blood and Thunder and so forth. So a couple of wee things like that, and obviously bands, um, old style at that time, like the Muller Memorial to the field and back. The quality, the sounds off of that was fantastic, and that, but I like the jigs and the reels and things like that. Um, so as you're going along, you're, you're sort, of, sort of diverting away from traditional yeah. music, as in. Excuse me, even though you're playing it, but you're, you're diverting away from the Lilio, the old orange flute, mm-hmm. um, Battle of Garva, etc. You were, you were going more to commercial ditties and tunes that would fit in. And, and I think what gave the band that, as you say, the swaggerness and everything else was some of the tunes. And these came about because of. Um, you were looking for different music to play out with the realms of the traditional loyal tunes. Mm-hmm. And tunes like, say, um, a Johnny Goes Marching Home, one of the ones that we played away back then as well was uh, Elvis Presley number, um, Wise Men. Mm-hmm. But other bands were trying things as well. And just so happened some of the tunes that evolved um, gave that swagger gallusness about the band and the further we went the more it got but the further we were going as well became more involved in the melody um but even at that time as well one of the influence the main influences for me was the core of drums i was a fanatic on the core of drums even though the core of drum music was a totally different thing for what your band was doing yeah I, I was gradually evolving the band in that direction um and, and, and taking things, and as I said, was basically obsessed. I was so much obsessed with the core of drums. I tried to I tried to join the guards three times, right. but because I was I was a a wee bit of a ragga a ragga band as, as I was saying. <laughs> um, come back next year. Come back when you've stayed out of trouble. Cause usually football you used to go into football and you go into trouble. But I I I tried to get into the guards three times, um, but unsuccessfully, obviously. Um, because I, w- I was obsessed by them. And that, obviously, those influences you can see now. Within yeah, the band. definitely, yeah. Uh, back in those days, I did have it. But at the same time, that type of music wasn't relevant to the band scene. Yeah. It was all like the ditties and Scavra Fair, um, no, things like that. And that was the things that, in the direction it went. 
And, and you, you ended up obviously, obviously with that type of thing, there was a level of entertainment, you know, in terms of entertaining a crowd and stuff, you know. And I'm interested in where some of the some of the, the stuff that you used to do, where that all came from, you know. I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, the, the road to the aisles, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the walking backwards and all that kind of stuff. Where the hell did you just get that from? <laughs> well, I have to be, I have to be honest. All these things came about by accident. I have to say it's quite uh, it's quite pleasurable to be speaking to you and clarifying all these myths because the band is noted for myths, all of different stories, this, that, and the next thing. The first one you mentioned, the road to road to rails. As I said to you before, they all came by accident. What happened was we were down in I think it was Workington. We were down in a parade in Workington, and as you do. During the break of the parade, you're all in the bars, etc., etc. But if you, back at that time, the big guys in the pop scene were madness, oh. and we all come out the pub. And one of the guys in the band, Billy Falls, he he was daft on madness, and they'd all come out. And all young guys, I've got you a bit of drink in them and everything else. So for some reason, they started to do the madness walk. So they're <laughs> all behind each other. So there's maybe 10, 15 guys all doing this madness walk. But just as that, somebody was playing the tune Road to the Isles. And as they were doing the madness walk, and as, as the tune goes, da da dum, it automatically a, a signal to them to stop. It, it fitted in. With it, and that is how that came about. It was, we found it hysterical <laughs> when it got done. And then somebody says, because I can't remember if we were actually playing Road to the Isles at the time. But we probably were, I think we played a Scottish set and we rode to the Isles and, oh, which Donald do and things like that. Yeah. And yeah, we were, now that I recall, there was a set. And what we did was we used to play the tune and the further we got into the tune, the faster we got. That, that happened with that tune and that's how that came about. Nobody thought of it. It was just an accidental thing. And oh, it yeah. stuck, it stuck forever. <laughs> um, a wee funny story to that with you for your... For your main band, Bally Macarra. Bally Macarra invited us over one year to take part and they support the parade for Mencap. Yeah. We used to do the Mencap parade and he asked if we'd come over and said, yeah, no problem. And we went over and one thing another. And I have to say, it's one of the best experiences and hospitality that I have ever experienced with the band. Big Jake, as I say, Sammy, Hutton, and Cashy. Oh, these these were all old, a lot older than me, and the hospitality they showed the band was phenomenal. So we were coming back to the Buffs Club, but back in those days, we never knew where we were. We didn't know the Buffs Club was in the in the corner from a lady's road, and but we didn't know. So we were walking back to the Buffs Club, back to my lady's road, and some of the boys from Ballymacarrick says, "Can we walk with you? Yeah, let's go with it. We're all together." And walking back, I always remember we're walking up the Albert Bridge. Or was it the Albert Bridge? But we're walking up anyway. And um, somebody shouted the tune out Road to the Isles. Well, we all knew how to do the walk. Well, they can it, didn't they? I think it was maybe about 10 or 12 boys. So when it came into kick, when it kicked into play, all of a sudden, everybody's just falling over each other. <laughs> um, so I always remember that as a, 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 quite a funny point. But actually, yeah. that one. The the as I said before, there's nobody sitting there and there's a light bulb 
going off in their head. The, the swaying up the road, no, from side to side. Yeah, yeah. That came about by accident as well. That came about by, we're walking up, I don't know if you know Glasgow well, but we're going up Hope Street. The, the big main demonstration was in Queen's Park, and we came through the city centre, walking up Hope Street. But what was happening in Hope Street at that time? Hope Street's a three-lane road, but a hundred yards, well, say maybe 50, every 50, 75 yards, there was a road work with the bollards all around it really? on the left-hand side. The next hundred yards up the road, there was bollards around it on the, the, the right-hand side. So the band had to snake all the way up to Hope, <laughs> up Hope Street. But see, when we got out of Hope Street, we just kept doing it. <laughs> and that's... And that came about by accident. That's what that was. Now, I have to contradict you on the walking backwards. That was never us. That was, was that not you guys? Right, okay. <laughs> because that thing, because that thing came into, because of the road to the Isles and what they call the snake. Yeah. Um, bands were looking for, it became a, a trait with bands to do their own wee thing. Because obviously the road to the Isles was associated to us, the snake was associated to us. So bands were trying to come up with their own ideas. I'll not mention the bands because I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But there was a band that was their thing, mate. That was their wee 40. So they played the tune, but on the double 40, they all turned around and walked backwards. Yeah. And I remember at one parade, <laughs> they done it right at a corner where they were going to turn right. And obviously they turned backwards, they couldn't see where they're going. They hit right, right on the pavement, near enough through the walls of a, of a building. Um, but the, the backwards thing wasn't noise. I'm sorry to say. No, no, that, it, it's all good, because I know that, it, I mean, obviously that, that type of thing influenced the scene. You know, there was a lot of yes. bands did that. Yes. You know, they, they, they copied the yes. snake and the, you know, the, the wee madness walk. As you're, yes. I'm now working out that that's what that is. It makes sense and stuff, you know. Um, but I think, you know, did you really, and this is a question, I'm, I'm so glad we're talking together because I've asked this question to a number of people and um, I don't know why you maybe alluded to it earlier on. Were you aware at the time that you were doing this? No. The influence that you were going to have? No, no. Um, it was just a thing, ideas as a young guy, and as I says, I was I was a, a fanatic. I was fortunate enough as we a girl who I married then, um, who I'm married next year. Forty years we're married. But th- ha, this band doesn't exist. Right. No matter who comes and who goes, it doesn't matter what people talk about me or know of me and people who don't know about me. They don't know anything because at the end of the day, without her, this band doesn't exist because without her support and backing and everything else, I wouldn't be here. Um, but she understood, uh, because a wee, a wee expression I have, I, I say to quite a few people, um, for me, I'm no one to drugs. I'm no one to drink. I don't drink. I'm no one to gambling. I'm no one to dirty women, etc. My vice, my only vice I really do have is smoking. I get enjoyment out of it. But the point being for me, the only drug that I had was bands. Yeah. And it was just something I was totally obsessed with. And so much so, don't get me wrong, I've, I've worked for myself since I was middle less 19, 20. I've, I've had too many businesses to mention. And if I would have adopted the attitude that I take to the bands, I, I, I can sit here with my hand and heart and say, I'd be a multi-millionaire. But yeah. money was never my god. 
money wasn't a thing for me. It was the bands. Yeah. The bands was just a thing. But the question you ask, it wasn't a self, a self-thought process. We'll do this, we'll do that. But it was just ideas. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when we came out with the blue uniforms, um, there was bands, not so many over here. The only band that, uh, and your type of band, because bearing in mind, we were categorised as a Blood and Thunder band, mm -hmm. and you had the amateur bands. Wasn't many melody bands left over here at that time. Yeah. They were all de defunct, but the amateur bands were still there. Um, Northern Ireland had a few bands. Um, I remember the Beatty used to wear jackets. Um, the Onward wore the jacket, but they were looked upon as the old fuddy duddies mm -hmm. to guys like me, who subsequently really did I know at that time. But that was the train of thought with youngsters at that time, and we were going for the new suits. And nobody over here had went for suits like this as at that time. And and as you're talking about the train of thought type thing, I remember getting the jackets. And I remember, and one of the things was, was studying bands. Yeah. I used to study the bands. And one of the things, and, and you, you'll relate to this, with the bands that did have jackets and things like that, guys that wore the ties, they either had a wee thin tie, a big knot tie, and they were all the place and so forth. And... I was aware of that, and I went, well, how do I resolve that? The idea come up, clip-on ties. Yeah. Everybody looked the same. Then you had the scenario where bands, I mean, we all used to wear the white glove through the epaulet, uh -huh. but you used to see the bands. One was hanging down further than the other, and they were squashed together, etc. How do we resolve that? I says to the wife, going to do my favour, going to stitch them together. Yeah. We put a wee stud on it and clipped them to underneath the airplane. So the gloves looked flawless at every time. Same as with the lanyards. They were stuck. We ideas like that. And that's what... And once it, where, the, where the guards' influences started to come in was the drag ropes, the crests yeah. on the drums, the marking time. Because bands, bands shuffled their feet in those days. That's right. Nobody marked time. So that's when the guards' influences started to come in with me. On a small scale, obviously, but that's where it started to come in. That time, there wasn't, there was nobody out there like this. It wasn't a perception or a, a train of thought to, we're going to do this and nobody will touch it. It was just an evolution. Uh -huh. It was just a direction you went in with the badges, um, the big badges. But one of the things is, <laughs> and we've still got it, is the skins with the skull. Yeah. With two skulls on it with the fags hanging hanging out its mouth. Mm -hmm. I'll be a wee funny story to that one as well. Yeah. And um, we were out parading Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. It was just mass parades. And we had this drum, obviously. Black skull, two skulls, wearing the hat with a hackle and the fag hanging out its mouth. The county grandmaster at that time, um, John Thompson, who had a lot of run-ins with, but we ended up becoming very close uh, sort of not pat mates, but we became close enough to for mutual respect. And um he kicked up a stink and he says, if they walk with him again, they're off the road. So one comes back to us. So the guy in the band, um, who was a, a bit of a character at the time as well, was a boy called Alan Swain. He was Gallus. He, I've got to give him his credit. He was a Gallus bugger for his days. <laughs> so somebody painted them on it. And I says, Swainy, you need to take them away and change them um, because they're going off the, they're going off a trumpet about this. No problem, Andy. Takes the skins away. So we're going out to the next parents and I said, you got these skins? I've got them here. Brings them down. 
you're supposed to take the skulls off and everything else. And I guess when I've got to put them on. And I looked at them and I went, what the? What's this? He says, well, you told me they had to take the fangs out. And you says, you take the fangs out and you put a pipe in this place. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but these skins as, as, as a, a momentum we still have to this day. And these are all part of the stories about the band. Yeah. I mean, these things are going to be there. These things are immortalized for, for mm -hmm. years to come. But as I say, as we go to the blue suits, things changed, became more regimented and so forth. Um, I was quite heavy. I was noted within the band scene for being a bit of a taskmaster. But once again, people don't know the reason why. One of the times the band was out in parade, and I always remember we're in an apprentice boys parade. And... Um, we came back. What, what used to happen then is you went and opened the club in the morning, but you were left hanging about for three or four hours. Uh -huh. and you know what yourself? What did the guys doing three, four hours going sit in a pub? Yeah. By the time we got home, we're coming back down the road. The band was all over the place. Yeah. And, I could, and, and the thing that always sticks in my mind is there was buses going by and people on the bus sort of looking down, sort of laughing at us. And I went to band practice, the next band practice, and read the riot act. I said, well, listen, so see if that's what he's about. And your gear in because that's no fun me. And that's when the sort of regimented thing came in. Uh -huh. There's a time and a place, but never a game where this band walked in the street in the condition you walked in. And that was another major change to the band system and how the band became and went in the direction it did. And that, that's how that came about. Well, folks, we're going to pause the conversation with Andy there because, believe it or not, there is another hour of uh, conversation to follow what we've just uh, listened to there now. Um, so we're going to release the, the second episode of this series um, very, very soon. In fact, you'll only have a few days to wait before we release that content. So I know you'll be, you know, be chomping at the bit to, to hear that. And the episodes that we have lined up to follow the double episode with Andy are absolutely fantastic as well. We're going to have Mark Reilly, who is the Sergeant Major with the, the US Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps on, and he's going to share about his story, and he's going to talk about a load of things, like how he ended up drumming with Top Secret Drum Corps, and also playing with the Middlesex County Volunteers. It's an absolutely amazing conversation. And then we also have another great conversation lined up after that one with Scott Ennis from Pride of the Mail, and you will not want to miss that either. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and uh, check us out. Just a quick update on the book. The book continues to sell really well on Amazon. So thank you everybody who is purchasing the book and continuing to spread the story of uh, Made the Parade. I have finished the, the edit on the second print edition, which hopefully will include some photographs and some other um, extra bits and pieces in that. So that'll make a great Christmas present and it'll be available for the, the same price. It'll be available on paperback for £10 and then obviously the Kindle version will be 7 99 If you've purchased the Kindle version already, whenever I release the second edition, you're copy will automatically update to the the brand new one so you'll not have to to purchase that again all right so that's really exciting as well and then obviously in the new year we're hoping that we're going to have the kids book ready to go as well so that's going to be absolutely fantastic so if you want to get in touch with us and uh, find out more about the podcast, find out more about what's coming up, then either get in touch with us through our Facebook page or you can email us here on madetoparadebook at gmail.com. 
Don't forget, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and do that. We're available on all major podcast platforms. And if you go to madetoparade.com, you will also find links to subscribe to the podcast there. I just want to end with a special thanks to two of my patrons, um, people who have decided to put their money where their mouth is and support Made the Parade on a regular basis. So I just want to give a shout out to Susan McCann and Jackie Nesbitt who have signed up on our Patreon site. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Made to Parade. So until the next episode, which you won't have to wait too much longer for, look after yourselves and take it easy. (laughs) 